The reading is Psalm 146 and can be found on page 632 in the Red Bibles. We have Bibles in other languages and versions available at the back, and page numbers for those are on the screen. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord, my soul. I will praise the Lord all my life. I will sing praise to my God as long as I live. Do not put your trust in princes, in human beings who cannot save. When their spirit departs, they return to the ground. On that very day, their plans come to nothing. Blessed are those whose help is the God of Jacob, whose hope is in the Lord their God. He is the maker of heaven and earth, the sea and everything in them. He remains faithful forever. He upholds the cause of the oppressed and gives food to the hungry. The Lord sets prisoners free. The Lord gives sight to the blind. The Lord lifts up those who are bowed down. The Lord loves the righteous. The Lord watches over the foreigner and sustains the fatherless and the widow, but he frustrates the ways of the wicked. The Lord reigns forever. Your God, O Zion, for all generations. Praise the Lord. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Steph, thank you very much for reading that. Uh, Shall we pray as we come to look at the Bible? Heavenly Father, we pray that we would hear you through your words tonight. Lord, that we would trust you and that we would praise you. Amen. Well, as Richard said, over uh, these uh, summer evening services, we're going to be looking at the five, last five psalms of um, the book of Psalms. Now, uh, they run from Psalm 146 to Psalm 150, so just take a moment, look at the first three words of each of those five psalms. Now, can you see where we got the sermon title from? Uh, it doesn't take a lot of imagination at this time of year. Um, we, but it is, uh, these are psalms that pr- about praising the Lord. Now, I don't know that that's a phrase that's used very often in kind of everyday language. There was a time uh, where we used to uh, share some news via text with someone and get the uh, reply, PTL, back. Um, oh, there's a few nods. That was a few more than I expected. Um, yeah, anyone under the age of 30 is looking at me blankly. Um, uh, and possibly some over the age of a certain number that I won't mention. Um, you know, it's not exactly a phrase that's used every day. Um, but these last five psalms are just that. They're about praising the Lord. Now, if you know the book of Psalms, it contains many different types of Psalms. It kind of reflects the up and downs of life, and that's why many people uh, resonate with them uh, in different stages of their lives, and different Psalms speak to them. And it ends with this upbeat uh, uh, section of the Psalms, which one commentator says, uh, the conclusion of the Psalms are a miniature of our story as a whole which will end in unbroken blessing and delight. So that's where we're, we're kind of going uh, this summer. Into that praise. Praise the Lord, or hallelujah, as the footnotes say. It's that expressing of respect 
approval, admiration, gratitude to God of, of who he is. Uh, it includes singing, but I don't think it's just limited to singing. I think there's ways we can praise the Lord in uh, the way that we live and the way that we speak. Uh, and so as we PTL together, um, uh, sorry, I had to get in there one more time. Uh, as we do that this summer, um, I hope we will be reminded uh, of the reasons uh, that we have to praise the Lord, how we do it, that it's going to last into eternity. Uh, and it's not just limited to us. The whole creation praises the Lord, joins in too. And so we're going to dive in and look at Psalm 146 tonight. Uh, it's on page 632. If you've closed your Bibles, it's useful to have it uh, in front of you. Uh, and Psalm 146 is a song of trust. Um, if you uh, look at the psalm, it's, it's, it's not a psalm that's written for a particular special event. You know, some of the psalms that have a kind of little subheading uh, underneath. It's not, it's not necessarily one of those. This could be sung daily by people uh, as a show of their trust uh, and praise in God. And actually, with the psalms kind of being the hymn book of, uh, of Israel, then you can imagine people doing that, singing uh, corporately, this lifetime and this lifestyle of trust uh, in their gods. In fact, it's one of these, this is one of the psalms that's really captured hymn writers down the years. Uh, Isaac Watts is probably one of the most notable. He paraphrased this psalm in about 1719. Uh, and that paraphrase became a favourite of John Wesley, who then adapted it. Uh, and it's become a song that is still sung today. I don't think we've sing it here particularly. I'm looking at Ollie. Not, not really. Uh, but some churches do. You know, it is one of these timeless psalms that captures the imagination. As I think we'll see tonight, uh, we'll see why. If you look at uh, verses 1 and 2, we'll see it begins with this call for a lifetime of praise. Praise the Lord, verse 1. Praise the Lord, my soul. I will praise the Lord all my life. I will sing praise to my gods as long as I live. Now, we don't know who the author of this psalm is, but it's quite clear, isn't it, as we look at this, he's, there's this kind of real sense of his personal relationship with God. It's, it, it's praise the Lord, my soul. It's the very depths of who he is. The psalmist wants to offer this sort of praise to God, that deep longing within him for God. And then we see why he wants to do that, why it's been a, a, a psalm that has captured this uh, post-exilic Israel, which is probably when it was written, the kind of 18th century hymn writers, and, and right through to today. It's where we're not to trust and where we are to trust for eternity. So let's start with trust not in humans in verses 3 and 4. Let's read those again. Do not put your trust in princes, in human beings who cannot save. When their spirit departs, they return to the ground. On that very day, their plans come to nothing. Can you see uh, in those three verses how the psalmist gives three reasons why we're not to trust in people? They cannot save, verse 3. They die and return to the ground, in verse 4. You're picking up uh, language of Genesis 3, 19. Uh, and their plans don't last, for the second half of verse 4. As soon as they die someone else takes over with a new plan. They cannot save, they die and return to the ground, they cannot last. And it's true, isn't it? 
Think of a great leader of the past. They've not saved, not ultimately. They're all dead, and their plans have been taken over by new ideas. It's not trust in humans, and yet, and yet how often do we do it? How often do we think that it's people that will save us? In, in the past, that might have literally been princes, uh, which is uh, there in, in verse 3. You know, uh, people riding off into battle with a great army behind them, leading their people uh, onto victory, squashing the enemy, uh, restoring the food supply, bringing about a better way of life. Now, for us, it's probably not our leaders, given the current climate that we're in, that we're likely to put our trust in. But verse 3, where it says princes, could also be more broadly applied to people with influence over us. Uh, And when we start thinking like that, then maybe there's ways that we do start trusting in people. In fact, this got me uh, thinking uh, of something called uh, influence uh, marketing. Now, if you've not come across this, it's, it's basically where a YouTuber or another social media celebrity promotes a product. They're, they're given the product by the company uh, to promote and using their videos, or, or they're paid to kind of advertise um, this. It's become actually big business, where some uh, businesses will employ someone just to look after their influencer marketing and, and that form of promotion. And it's not surprising uh, one estimate I read reckons that uh, there's an 11 times greater return on investment from influencer marketing compared to other forms of digital marketing. There are people who have huge influences. As, as far as I know, no one here is a social media celebrity. Uh, apologies if I'm wrong. Um, you know, come and tell me afterwards and I'll start following your YouTube channel. Um, as far as I know, no one uh, is one of those celebrities, but I, I'm guessing that there's quite a few people here that will watch them uh, and listen to what they say. And can I say, much of what they say is good, uh, it's true, I'm not saying don't watch them, but I want to see how there's perhaps a subtle way through these people of influence that we start trusting in people. Take, for example, uh, a celebrity who promotes a particular clothing range. Um, I don't know what it is. Um, but she bigs it up to all her followers. Uh, sh- more shops start stocking it um, because it's getting more of a reputation. Uh, you've seen the video. You see the clothes uh, in the shops. You see your, your mates wearing them. And you think, I've got to get them. I've got to have those clothes. If I don't have them, I'm not going to fit in. I'm, I'm going to miss out. Uh, I'm not going to look my best uh, without those. And do you see how subtly then a change has happened. Your acceptance and your image has become what that influencer has said rather than what God has said. You, rather than seeing what God says about you, you're saying what that influencer says about you and will make you right and good and proper. It, it, it's, it's subtle, But in a way, you've started trusting a person for your acceptance rather than your gods. Now, I think that can be applied to lots of different areas. I've just picked up 
on one. Um, and I think there's, you know, you can look around the world and see how that happens, whether it's the media or uh, colleagues or whatever it is. Um, you know, it might be a good thing uh, as we've got food afterwards to chat, chat about it. Let's, let's think how, the, how this happens. Because I think it is subtle. And without without realising it, we start trusting those people for our, our salvation or, our, or at least our acceptance. I know that I'm not immune from it. It's, it's that kind of subtlety to it that makes it difficult to spot. And it's interesting, though, isn't it, that the world of social media is a, is a good example of this, though, because how quickly is it over for some of these celebrities? You know, social media celebs come and go quicker than the buses on Wilmsley Road. It's, they're here one minute, they're gone, and their plans are gone with them. Trust nine humans, you know, people cannot save. They die and return to the grounds, and their plans don't last. Instead, verse 5, the blessing comes when our help and our hope is put in God's. Look at verse 5. Blessed are those whose help is in the God of Jacob, whose hope is in the Lord their God. See, rather than trusting in humans, God's people trust in God. And that's what verses 5 to 9 are going to go on to show and give us reasons why to trust in this God. There were three reasons not to trust in humans. Now there's three reasons grander, surer, certain reasons to trust in God. He's creator, he's saviour, and he's judge. He's creator. Uh, Look at verse 6. He is the maker of heaven and earth, the sea and everything in them. He remains faithful forever. Now, God made everything. It's kind of one of the, the basic things that most children's Bibles begins with. But how easy we, you, easily we forget it. God makes ev- made everything, and that includes us. That includes those people we might be tempted to trust. You know, we are creatures of this great creator. And he is a great creator. I don't know uh, where your plans go on your summer holidays this year. Maybe you're not. Maybe you're just able to pop in to the countryside around Manchester But when you see the beauty uh, of the rolling hills, when you see streams gently running down valleys, when you hear the sound of waves gently lapping the sand, when you see the great expanse of the deep blue ocean, whatever it is for you, that when you look at creation and what God has made makes you go, wow. As you see that beauty, it points to a creator. A creator God who's, who's painted enough of his glorious uh, creation to reveal enough of who he is, an imprint of, uh, of who he is. Uh, and when we have a God who is that big uh, and that powerful, to be able to create that, sustain that, then there's someone we can put our trust in. He's the only one who's sovereignly in control of the universe in that grand scale. And yet, he's also the one who knows every grain of sand on the seashore and every hair on your head. Only he can comprehend all that. He is the creator. Uh, And and notice he he remains faithful. Do you see that in the second um, half of verse 6? He's not going to change his mind. Actually, that's a huge reassurance. 
particularly when you start looking at other religions uh, around the world, you know with this God what his plans are and how this world is going to operate. He's not going to change them. There's another reason to trust him. We know where we stand with him. He is creator. And he is saviour. That's what verse uh, first half of verse 9 is going to say. See, with those words uh, in, uh, that start in verse 7, they really pick up uh, on a prophecy that um, Isaiah made in Isaiah 61. It's a, it's a prophecy of uh, a salvation and restoration that's going to come to God's people. Uh, and the psalmist is poetically using that to give this kind of wide, encompassing salvation that's going to come about, bringing in oppressed, bringing in the needy, healing infirmities, lifting the low. He's highlighting that help and that hope that we can have in the Lord. And, and notice it is the Lord that is doing this. Um, look at verse, uh, the second half of verse uh, 7. The Lord sets prisoners free. The Lord gives sight to the blinds. The Lord lifts up those who are bowed down. The Lord loves the righteous. The Lord watches over the foreigner and sustains the fatherless and the widow. As the commentator Michael Wilcox puts it, Five times in verses 7 to 9, his name rings out. It dismisses every other name. The Lord's not Baal. The Lord's not Saddam Hussein. You kind of guess the era this commentary is written. Uh, The Lord's not the free market system nor a Western government. The Lord's not the church organization. The Lord's not my favorite political persuasion. See, when we have a God willing to do this, to bring this kind of all-encompassing salvation, then again, this is a God who can be trusted. I mean, this, it's thought that this psalm was written, as I said, in that post-exilic era for Israel. They've been taken away and they've come back. And read those verses in light of that reality that they would have gone through. They would have known what it was to be oppressed, to be hungry, to be a foreigner, to be a prisoner. Words had meaning. And then here's the God who has and will bring them out of that state. He sets them free. He feeds them. He gives them sight. He lifts them up. He loves them. He watches over them. He sustains them. Trust him. And if that was true for Israel just being brought back from exile, how much more true is it for us uh, as we live the other side of the cross? In Luke chapter 4, we read that Jesus went to Nazareth where he had been brought up. And on the Sabbath day, he went into the synagogue as was his custom. He stood up to read. And the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. And rolling it, he found the place where it is written, The Spirit of the Lord is on me, because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners, and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favour. Then Jesus rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant, and sat down. 
the eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened on him. He began by saying to them, Today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. See, as Jesus quotes Isaiah 61, uh, which influenced this psalmist, we can see how uh, this is like father, like son, when it comes to these words. Look at the end of verse 7 again. Jesus sets prisoners free. Jesus gives sights to the blind. Jesus lifts up those who are bowed down. Jesus loves the righteous. Jesus watches over the foreigner and sustains the fatherless and the widow. And we know what it's like. It may not be physically, but spiritually we were oppressed. We were hungry. We were blind. We were down low before we knew Jesus. But, but through him, we've been set free. We've been uh, fed. We've been given sight. We've been lifted up. We've been loved. We've been watched. We've been sustained. And we still are being by this God. Trust him. Here's a reason to trust him. He is our help and our hope. He is our saviour. So he's creator, he's saviour, and he's judge. See that just there at the end of verse 9. He frustrates the ways of the wicked. So I think it's quite an important little note uh, at the end of this, or towards the end of this psalm. Because as we look around the world, uh, and we see that God is creator, we see that he's saviour, but we look at the world and we see it's not a bed of roses out there. There are people who are still oppressed and marginalized. There are still those who are fatherless and there are widows. And we want that world not to exist. I think deep down that's what we all want. But at the moment it doesn't. And, and I'm sure I'm not the only one who sometimes thinks, well, can I trust God when the world is like that? And, and I think that's why this little note of judgment at the end is really important and why it's there. Because it reminds us that it could be far worse and it's going to get better. See, without the Lord uh, frustrating the ways of the wicked, then surely wickedness would, would go on unabounded. I have no idea what that would look like, but it's going to be pretty bad. <laughs> um, and yet the Lord suppresses what the wicked can do now. And there will be a time when he will come to judge completely. Judgment and salvation go hand in hand. Now is a time for salvation, a time to repent and believe. But judgment is coming. Don't uh, miss that. Then all wickedness will, see, will cease. And on that day, that trust we have in the Lord will return to sight. And we will see Jesus. We will see he's both saviour and judge. And this world will be made new. He thwarts the wickedness and he's bringing about the better worlds. He is judge. So can you see the three great reasons uh, to counteract those three reasons not to trust? You must three great reasons to trust in God, creator, saviour, and judge. And I want to say that this is our song as Christians. This is what we believe about our gods. This is what we can go out into the world uh, and proclaim. This is our song. And say, so are we going to sing it? 
Will we sing it as we leave church this evening? Will we sing it when we're back in work tomorrow morning? Will we sing it on Wednesday when we really can't be bothered to be back in work? Will we sing it next weekend when we can choose what we do? Will we sing it next month, next year, into eternity? Because that's where it's heading. Look at, let's briefly look at the end, verse 10. It's a trust for eternity. You see, the psalm began with this personal declaration of praise for the, the psalmist's lifetime. But it ends with this corporate declaration of praise into eternity. See, what begins now lasts till then. Look at verse 10. The Lord reigns forever. Your God, O Zion, for all generations. Praise the Lord's. It's kind of like that last verse of Amazing Grace, uh, if you like hymns, or 10,000 Reasons, if you like songs. Uh, when we've been there 10,000 years, there's no less days to sing God's praise. 10,000 years and then forevermore. You know, this is a, actually is, is a, is maybe a fourth reason to, to trust God, um, that he doesn't die like, hum, like humans, that he reigns forever. But it, it's this sweeping vision of praise that goes on into eternity, lasts forever, that the psalmist wants us to see. And do you see, he's both the Lord, that covenant, promise-making, promise-keeping God, and he's your God, that personal, relational God. See, this is something that's for his people for all time. He's demonstrated it through the Lord Jesus, as we've seen. The Lord, your God, he's the one who can be trusted. I think that the psalm is leaving us to say, well, we trust in God. Let's praise God. Trusting God leads to praising God. That's where it's going. That's where they've been intertwined together through this, through this psalm. Trusting God leads to praise in God. And so as we draw this together, as we uh, think about all the ways that we've been uh, reminded tonight to trust in God, then when it spill out into our praise of him, praise for our lifetime, Praise in so many different ways. Praise that lasts into eternity. I hope as we look, both this psalm and all these psalms over the summer, that that's what we'll want to do. To praise God again. We have so many reasons to do so. He is such a great and glorious God. He is an amazing God that we would want to praise I'll finish with the words of Isaac Watts' hymn, uh, the first verse of that, which pick up this idea so well. I'll praise my maker while I've breath, and when my voice is lost in death, praise shall employ my nobler powers. My days of praise shall never be past, while life and thought and being last. Or, or immortality endures. Shall we pray? Heavenly Father, forgive us when we've trusted in people, not you. 
Help us to spot when we're doing it and to change. And Lord, we thank you that we have so many reasons to trust in you. You are creator, you are saver, you are judge. You last into eternity. And so, Lord, we want to say again tonight that we trust you. Whether it's, uh, we've forgotten how to say it, or we've forgotten the reasons to do it. Lord, we want to trust you again tonight. And as we trust you, we want to praise you. Praise you for who you are. Praise you for what you've done in the Lord Jesus. As we will praise you into into eternity, may, may we begin now. Through the Lord Jesus, by the Spirit, we pray. Amen.